Yeah, as Pastor was alluding to before, it, it's, it is such a great opportunity for me, um, for Pastor to allow me to preach for you guys. It does a lot of training for me. And studying, studying the Bible to prepare for a message is such, such an amazing thing for me. I love it so much. And um, if, it, if it doesn't help anyone who I preached to, I know that it was profitable because it helped me a lot. So, um, and I just, I just want to thank Pastor so much for allowing me to come up here. Um, so, uh, a little more than a week ago, uh, Pastor... Uh, well, I, I, wanted, I wanted to preach during the summer. I was excited to preach. And so um, I was talking with Pastor, and, and uh, about a little more than a week ago, Pastor asked me to uh, preach this Wednesday. And uh, around, like, a, starting about a month ago, uh, I, I started um, weeding, weeding the church with Pastor along with um, other people Pastor requested to come. And weeding, like, just sitting down, weeding, um, like working with mulch and stuff, it gives you a lot of time to think. And I, I, encourage, I encourage people to do things that are, are boring because, <laughs> because well, like the, the weeding, it was, it's not like it's entertaining. It's, um, I was working and it gives, you, it gives you time to think. I'm just weeding, pulling weeds. It can get monotonous. So, you know, just make sure, grab all the roots uh, stuff like that. And, then, and during then, I can just think. And I'm, while I'm weeding, just thinking of stuff. And so I started to think uh, about what Pastor would like for me to do for my, uh, what I'd like to do for my message. And my first idea, I was like, okay, you know, I got like this weeding here. I got these plants and stuff. I'm going to do a message called Maintaining Your Garden. And I was going to say, say things like, uh, you need you need to pull the weeds out of your garden, uh, pull the sin out of your life to uh, let your plants grow and be fruitful to the Lord, and and that and that, that I think that would have been a great message. But <laughs> studying studying my message is is very similar, but um, I I'm using the garden analogy in a different way that I thought fits better with um, fits better with the message. You guys see that as I go through. Ultimately, and what the focus on this message is to learn about the world through God's eyes and how God sees us and how, and that, that will develop our relationship with him, knowing how God sees us. Um, we ultimately cannot see everything he thinks. In Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But it is important to try and try to see things in God's perspective of us. In Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth, glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving, loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. It's so important to learn about God and his view of us. A great way to look at God's relationship with us and his perspective is to look at us as a garden, us as a garden, being kept by a gardener. And that's why I titled this message, Through the Eyes of the Gardener. If we can all turn to John 15, we'll be going to verse 1.
And the Bible says in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. And um, like, so when I was, when I was thinking of, uh, you know, doing maintaining your garden, I was thinking, I was studying, I was studying, giving verses, I was like, this is going to be great. Um, I'm going to take care of my garden. It's going to be great. And then Holy Spirit started working my heart. And he was like, Justin, wouldn't it be better if God was the gardener in this situation? And I was like, no, no, I really, I really want this to work. This is going to be great. <laughs> and, then, and then I came across John 15, 1. It really spoke out to me. I, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. That couldn't get any more clear than that, that he's the husbandman. And if we continue on, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Ye that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as, uh, as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it will, shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall he be my disciples. And so for this message, I'm going across several parallels with keeping, keeping a garden intact, keeping it sustained with God working in our lives. The first of which is our purpose. Our purpose as, um, as a garden being kept by God is to produce fruit. In John 15, 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In my class of uh, dispensationalism, it's, uh, it's a belief on, uh, it's, it, the basic premise is that the Bible is separated into different time ages, and God is revealing his revelation as he goes on, as the Lord, a Lord is maintaining uh, the world like he's maintaining a household. Like you would uh, train a child, you would treat him differently than when he's 13 and differently when he's 19, 20. Um, but one in the primary, uh, primary belief against dispensationalism is covenant theology. One basic difference that dispensationalism believes that the purpose of God's creation is to glorify him. Well, covenant theology believes the purpose is for man's salvation. Um, while safe, salvation is very important, it's very important. God tells us to lead others to the Lord. It is important because God wants it. And God designed the world that way. In 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Though, and I'm not disregarding uh, the works of salvation at all. We should be going out, leading others to the Lord, and it's very, very important. But the main purpose of the world as a whole is to glorify God. And we, we lead others to the Lord to glorify him, not just lead others to the Lord. Another, another part of um, how the garden relates to us in terms of our purpose is that 
The kind of fruit is specific to each plant. If we can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is talking about the uh, different parts of the body and how they have different roles. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And now this is the crucial part I have in this passage. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? We all have different fruit that we can give to God. And it's important when we see someone else living a certain lifestyle, living for the Lord in a certain way, we shouldn't be envious or jealous of that because that's their fruit that God has created them to produce. We need, to, we need to go to the Lord. We need to build a relationship with him to produce our fruit that we can give to the Lord. Another parallel that we see is what God does for us and what God does to the garden. First, the primary and uh, most important thing that God does is watering. God will work in you through the Holy Spirit. For a plant to live, it must have water. That's an essential. If you're planting your garden, you're not going to expect a garden to grow without giving it any water. It's completely essential. Only God's water is sufficient for eternal life. In John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, this is when Jesus is walking with the woman at the well, whosoever drinketh of this water, the water of the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into a into everlasting life. If you are planted in his garden, as soon as you're planted into his garden, that's salvation I'm using in this analogy. Uh, if you are planted in his garden, you are saved. Because the garden is always watered, God is always watering his garden, you automatically get a spirit when you're saved. There are some, there are some uh, cults out there that believe that once you're saved, you need to do works to get the Holy Spirit. But as soon as you're saved, instantaneously, you get the spirit of God in you. God always keeps his garden maintained. And I know this is a Wednesday night crowd, but I should always ask, are you planted in his garden to even get the water of God? And that's something we should all think about. If you don't feel like you're getting the water of God, if you don't feel the Holy Spirit working in you, we can all be backsliding. But we should all examine ourselves and Examine yourself and make sure that you are planted in his garden in the first place. A second part of how God, what, how God maintains the garden is our location. God will have you where he wants you. In Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Some plans work well with certain, uh, some, yeah, I was reading as uh, the verse, but uh, some plans work well with certain kinds of plants. Um, I, was, I was looking online at a, and like studying for this message, I was looking at a lot of stuff on how to maintain a garden. 
And uh, I, think, I think if I went to plant a garden right now, I don't think I'd do a bad job from the studying I was doing. <laughs> but uh, so some plants work well with certain kinds of plants. An example, potatoes grow well with beans, corn, and peas. But if you plant them near tomatoes, that doesn't work. Uh, I guess potato, potato tomato, um, like they sound the same, but they don't work well together. <laughs> God will put you in a place where you will work best. And when, I, when I'm talking about different plants, um, working with different plants here, when you're working with other Christians, where you are in your location in God's will, probably the most crucial part of where you are is what kind of people you're around. If you're, if you're looking to where you should be spiritually, what location, where God puts you in your life. The people around you affect you so much. And sometimes we take that for granted. But we influence other people. Other people influence us. And God wants us where we will grow best. Some examples we have, uh, situations with our jobs. Um, you know, God might put you in a certain place where you have a certain position in your career. Or may God allow it for you to get laid off. Wherever, wherever you are in your work, God has a plan for that. And if God has made that, um, you should be satisfied and praise the Lord for that because God knows where that will grow you. Also moving, and I like to think of uh, you know, Mrs. Butler and uh, Aaron Waddell a while ago. Uh, God had certain places for them, and while we might miss them, God has, a, God has a better place for them that they'll work best in. And also area of ministry as well. We have different places in the church that we work in, and God wants us in the place where will grow the best. And following after God, we'll be in the right place in ministry and we'll grow the best from there. Even though you might not enjoy being with a certain person, God might intend it for your growth. God knows who is best to be with you more than you do. You may be in a place when you're with someone and you're saying like, oh, I don't think I'm growing that much. This person is getting me, getting me in the flesh. You know, I get angry whenever I'm around him. But God knows how all the plants work. He knows everyone, how they operate. And God will plant you in a place that you will grow well with, with other plants. And we need to just trust him and trust him in the fact that he'll put us in the right place. A third area that God, um, God helps us as a garden is the maintenance. God will have to cut away parts of you. And that's, that's the main part I'm uh, dealing with in maintenance. This is one of the most difficult and tedious jobs for a gardener. So look at all the plants, look at stuff that doesn't need to be there and cut it off. To maintain, to maintain a plant, it is important to cut away parts that are withering or not producing fruit. It takes away a place where, a plant, where the plant's energy will be wasted and prevents disease from infecting the plant. And Christians get these parts as well. Some stems sprout that are not useful, and these are weights that we have in our lives. We waste our energy on our things that could be used for producing fruit. In Mark 8, 36 through 37. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The things, of, the things that are not of the world, the things that are spiritual, they are the most important in our lives. And while it is important to keep track of things in the world to keep us going while we're on earth, our primary goal should be things spiritually. And when, and so I think of a plant, many plants have um, sprouts that they have that don't produce any fruit. And 
a lot of the time, we sprout these appendages that aren't producing fruit, and the plant is using energy to produce that, that could be producing fruit, and our fruit won't be as big, it won't be as plentiful and nutritious. In Exodus 23, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Whenever, we, whenever we're growing something else in our lives that's taking away from our fruit to God, we're worshiping that as a god. And whether, whether you believe that or not, that's what you're doing. You're using your energy the energy that God gave you, that God watered you and gave you nutrients through that water, you're using that to fulfill something else in your life. While God does let us enjoy things, if it takes away from our fruit too much, he might cut it off. And that's an important thing when we have troubled trials in our life. If we think, like, oh, why did God cut this away from me? Maybe it was occupying too much of your life and you need to focus on God more. If we can turn to Matthew 25, verse 24. And this is the this is the parable of the um, three servants taking talents from their master and using them, um, capitalizing on them to produce more talents for their master. And then the master comes to the third servant, and this is what happens here in verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent, in the earth, lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with ushery. Take therefore the talent from him, give it unto him which hath ten talents. God is going to supply, God supplies you for the fact of producing fruit for him. And that's your, again, that's your primary purpose for being on this earth is to produce that fruit for him. Uh, my dad, he has a 1966 Chevy Corvair Corsa Turbo. He got it a long time ago. Um, he got it a long time ago. It's a great car, but he left it in, he got busy with family and he left it in this garage with a dirt ground and, left, and practically left it there. And he's shaking his head. He's ashamed to it this day. Um, and he let it go. And if you don't main, if you, because he didn't maintain that car because he didn't keep track of it, it deteriorated. And now this is a one-body car, so it's not very, uh, it wouldn't be very efficient to take parts out and put it back in that way. The whole bottom of the car is completely rusted. And it is, just, it is just a total disaster scene. We want, we want eventually to try and do something with it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost a lot of money to do that and a lot of time. Um, and so I decided, I, I went and I looked up 1966 Chevy, Chevy Corvair Corsa Turbo on the internet for sale. And the first, first one I came across uh, costed $35,000. Um, if he... If his life, if the Lord provided him with this car that he could use uh, for anything, 
Um, like he gives us many talents, um, talents and thing, but you know, wrong kind of talents. Um, he gives us many gifts, and he wants us to use those gifts to give back to him. But if we don't use those gifts, they get deteriorated. Um, but the value could be so much more if we um, use those. And the car literally was buried like in the, uh, like the first servant buried his uh, talent in the ground. <laughs> um, and because, because of that, the car has a lot less value than it could have. And it's funny. Yes? <laughs> well... <laughs> many, like, many things can distract us from, li- from our lives, and um, there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the Lord, I'm paraphrasing, but the Lord knows best what is for him, and I'm not saying he should have, like, invested the whole car, you know, outside the family, but this works in the same way that God uses our gifts. A lot of things come to our lives that distract us and keep us from working for God. Um, and that, and we pull away from that. And that's how, that's how Satan likes to trick us. He likes to tempt us with jobs we have to do um, to satisfy what is in the world. And we eventually lose sight of it. And we lose sight of the gifts. And it can get to the point where God has to cut it off. And at that point, you don't have a gift anymore. And what, now what are you going to do with it? And it's a very sobering thought thinking that if you don't use your talent for the Lord, if you keep putting it off, eventually there will be a time where God says, well, I want to keep this plant growing. I want this plant to grow for me. And so I'm going to have to cut off this branch so the energy can be used for other fruit. And it's a shame. It's a shame that we let go of those things because he, he allows us to grow the way we want to. And if, if we grow the wrong way, he has to cut it off. Some stems, there's stems that grow out that don't produce fruit. But there are other stems, including the stems that grow out, that can wither. And this is where we don't allow the Holy Spirit to enter our lives. When a plant doesn't let water into its limbs and it cuts off water supply from it, that limb will wither. It'll, be, it'll become deteriorated and won't be able to do anything. And that's what happens. And like, say if we grow a limb that's too far, that doesn't produce fruit, that's going to take a lot of energy to get that limb. And it'll deteriorate on itself. Um, a lot of the time we get focused on things and it just becomes broken. And also, with our branches that produce fruit as well, if we don't let the Holy Spirit work in those branches that produce fruit, we may try to get as much fruit as we can without the Holy Spirit, but it's eventually just going to wither away. And you're going to get rotten fruit at the end of that. And the, the withering, it can occur from extreme limbs going too far, as I said before. And it can also occur if a limb with fruit is cut off from the water supply. And the problem with these withered limbs, it's very important when keeping your garden to cut these withered limbs off. Because if you let them just stay there, and if you let leaves that die and fall next to the plant, what can occur is disease can infect the plant. And so it's so important to cut it off. And the analogy that works with this is sin that comes in our lives. The thing about sin is that there's no disease that you don't have a chance against. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God, God gives us the power to thwart off temptation. But when we don't let water flow through those limbs, those expendages, the things that are producing fruit, and even the things that we enjoy that don't necessarily uh, produce as much fruit for the Lord, um, if we don't keep track of those things, they'll, they'll start to wither, and that's when sin will enter in. Sin has its opportunity. If you, let, if you let the Spirit be at every part of your life, you will be able to stay away from sin. In James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in that spirit, letting, letting that water grow you, flow through you, and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. This is the most crucial because sin is what keeps us away from having a relationship from the Lord. And Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. They, he will not hear. This this sin that we have, this dying, it, it's, it's difficult for a gardener to keep track of everything that's going on with a plant. And sometimes when a disease infects a plant, it's hard to see. Um, I like, uh, as you guys know, I work at Carvel down Torrington. And most of the time, Carvel is a nice place to work at. It's uh, even though in Torrington, but as some of you might know, as some of you might know, Torrington can be an interesting place at times. Uh, I was working a night shift in Torrington. I was at the register. I was uh, taking orders and stuff. And then I just, I hear, i not hear, I smell this strange aroma coming in. I don't know what it was. And I see this little old lady walking down to the register. And she seemed like, and she seemed like a very nice lady. She was very polite. And she was good at smiling. Now, you guys may think, why did you phrase it like that? Well, she was good at smiling, but she did not have a good smile. When she opened her mouth to speak, her teeth were gray, and it looked like there was black outlining on all of her teeth. And I couldn't even see inside her mouth. It was just, it was just darkness. I didn't even know. And as soon as I opened her mouth, that putrid smell came flowing right to my face, and... I was at the register, I was right in front of her, taking her order, and literally with all my might, I was trying to keep my smile, trying to be polite, because my face, my face wanted to just go like this, <laughs> try and like block some scent from going into my nose. And it, it was just, it was so hard to just keep a straight face, keep smiling at her, and saying like, oh, you know, like, and, and like there's several times where I would, I would walk away and she'd say, oh, like, oh, can I have this? I'd walk back to her. I was like, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, I'll get that for you. <laughs> and guys, that's the same way the Lord sees us with our sin. It's, it's putrid and just horrible to him to see our sin. And he still loves us, but, and I still wanted to serve that lady, but that, that smell made it difficult for me to serve her to make her, serve her the ice cream. And I just, when I was done, I just let out a big exhale. I was like, this is great, all good. I'm so happy she's gone. <laughs> God wants you to stay away from sin. 
So if you don't care, take care of this sin yourself. He may cut it off for you. Uh, the Bible says uh, itself in Matthew 5.30, And if thy right hand defend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for, profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, that not thy whole body shall be cast into hell. It's some parts of our lives are getting infected with sin. And if we let that, the sin will just creep up into our hearts and eventually affect our fruit. And so we have in here, in our parallels here, we have our purpose and we have things that God does for us. The three are the watering, the location God puts us in, and God maintaining us, working in us through uh, His Holy Spirit. But as plants, another parallel we have is what we do for God. And that goes back, loops back to our purpose, is that we produce good fruit for God. But what do we do in return to be able to produce fruit? To produce fruit, a Christian needs to take in God's water, living in the Spirit. As I said before, like abiding in the water, letting the water flow through you. We need to let that water work in us so we can produce fruit. In John 15, 5, back uh, towards our text message, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. He's, the Bible says that if you abide in me, the same, you'll bring fruit. If you abide in me, you'll bring fruit. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I was studying that part, and I was trying to figure out what that meant. Fruit is a byproduct of living in the Spirit. You shouldn't have to, while we should try to live um, for the Lord and produce fruit, it shouldn't be, it will be much more difficult for us to produce that fruit without living in the Spirit. And this verse here, if you live in the Spirit, your life will be inclined to follow the law. These things that, you'll, that the Holy Spirit will influence you to do, those things are going to be in the law. And a Christian, a Christian can live in like some, some parts of the law without necessarily consciously knowing them. Because he, like, he knows that, um, he knows something from the Holy Spirit that's influencing him to do something. He, like, he's walking down the road and the Holy Spirit pricks his heart and sees a lady like struggling with her groceries, he's going he's gonna, to, like the, the inclining of the spirit, he's going to be urged to help her. And while he might not know an exact verse of, you know, help, help your neighbor and uh, love thy neighbor as thyself, um, you, you will go to that lady and try and help her, and the Holy Spirit helps you with that. But you may have another question. Letting this water through you, how do, we, how do we walk in the Spirit? Well, if I ask you this question, how do we have a relationship? How do we walk with anyone? Any relationship you have, think about it. How do we have that relationship with him? The primary part we need to keep track of is to love those people. In Matthew 22, uh, verse 34 through 40. And let's turn over there. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. 
But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asking him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in thy law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. I can just imagine Jesus in this situation. This Pharisee, he, he, knows, he knows scripture, but he's tempting him, he's prodding him, trying to trip him up, asking him, oh, what's the great, what's the first and great commandment? And Jesus just replies to him, to love me. And that's all, that's what Jesus wants from us, is for us to love him. And I can just, I can just imagine Jesus might be in sorrow as he's saying this to this man. Why don't you love me? You need to love me. And it's Pharisee trying to tempt him. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I can even say with the second uh, law that that is influenced by the first law. So we, what we have here. Yeah. In 1 John 5.20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? Uh, love, we can only love other people if we have a love for God. It's... We just we simply can't. And so the second commandment falls under the first. To love God, to love Jesus and his and his word. And the, all these hang, all the law and the prophets. And abiding in the law keeps away sin. And keeping away that sin allows you to produce that fruit. Loving God gives you desire to follow him, the spirit. In Psalms 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. If you're having a hard time figuring out why you have these desires that aren't pleasing to the Lord, maybe you should go delight in the Lord. Find a relationship with the Lord and love him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. And some people interpret this passage as a desire, like what the God will give you the object of your desire. That whatever you want, God will give it to you. But a lot of the things that we, don't, that we want aren't pleasing to the Lord. And it doesn't say that here. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put those desires in your heart if you delight in the Lord. Now you may, you may have another question. Well, how do we love God? And I'll re, um, rephrase my first question back to you again. How do we love anybody? And the answer to that question is, is that we know them. And 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for, God, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. A requirement for love is to know him. And first of all, first part of this verse, it says, Everyone that loveth is born of God. 
For you to love God, you first must be saved. You must be born again. You must be a born again Christian. If you're not saved, you won't love God. And if you do, if you're, if you're, if you've been trying to love God for a long time, and you've done everything that the the Bible says, you know, about loving God, you know, except being saved, you're not going to love Him. And if you have that trouble, maybe you should consider your salvation there again. And then, secondly, after you're born, after you're born again, you have to learn about Him, knowing God. It literally says, he that loveth not, he that doesn't love him, doesn't know him, for God is love. You have to know him to love him. In Proverbs 2, verses 3 through 5, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. We must have that desire to seek that knowledge. We must study in his word. We must pray to him. We must read the Bible. And that will develop our love for him, just continuing in that. And I know every time, every time I fall back on my devotions, it can, be, it can be a struggle to get back in. But I encourage you, for those who are not having a regular scheduled time with the Lord, stay with it, even if you don't like it at first. And if you keep going... God will give you those desires and he'll grow your love in him. And from that, from that love, you'll want to study more. you want to get more from him. And you'll just produce more fruit for the Lord. And also in Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We shouldn't be living we, should only, we shouldn't live on just the things of the world, but what God teaches us. And we, when we read the word, when we read the Bible, we live off of that. We can grow that relationship with him, love him, and then produce fruit for him. And if we do all these things, God's labor will be effective in us. The things that he's doing in us will be effective. We will grow in our relationship with the spirit. We'll take in that water. We will grow everywhere the Lord plants us. Wherever location he brings us, we'll grow in there with having faith in him. And we'll grow resistant to sin if we abide in, in, abide in the spirit. And, and on a side note, it is important to consciously grow in these areas. Like in the Pharisees that I showed for before, they studied the word a lot, but they didn't commit it unto love. We should read the word, not to just read the word and gain knowledge, but to gain knowledge about God and, to, and grow that, because we want to grow that relationship with him. If we have that motivation, that reading will give us that love for him. If I can ask you this question, how is your relationship with the Lord? How much do you love him? How well do you know him? If there's an area in your life, maybe you're thinking, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't study the Bible as much as I should. I don't know a lot about the Lord. Maybe that's why you don't love him. And then that's why you're not producing fruit. Or maybe you're studying the word and you're not committing that into love and saying, oh, I don't think, I don't think my life is loving to the Lord. I don't think I think of God every day. There's days where I don't think of the Lord. Is there a spot in there where you don't love the Lord and therefore not producing fruit? Maybe a question about producing fruit. And even from stemming from love, 
you, you may read the Bible, you may love him, but you're not bringing it to produce fruit. There's too many distractions in your life. Are you producing that fruit? Seeing ourselves in God's eyes is crucial to developing a relationship with him, as has helped me. When I started this message, I started with my idea. I was going to be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this idea. But reading the Bible, reading the word, I learned something about God, a perspective on him that I didn't have before, keeping him, keeping him in my heart and letting him work through me because he's a gardener that will supply my needs. And I just need him, need him to let, let him work in me. And if I'm a stubborn plant who keeps withering or growing these appendages that don't produce fruit, then God's work isn't going to be as effective in us. If we go, let's go turn back to uh, Jeremiah 23 through 24. I read this uh, during the beginning of the message. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. This saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. In the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. We need to learn about God. We need to have a steady relationship with him. And if we don't, we are not going to grow that love for the Lord. And we're not going to produce that fruit. We may try to produce that fruit all we can, but it's just going to, our works are just going to be as filthy rags. And I love the filthy rags analogy. Not only is that rag dirty, but think of if you're washing, if you're washing something, you're washing a car or something, whatever. After a while, after you use that rag, it's going to get dirty. And there needs to be a time where you take that rag and put it back into clean water and get that grime off of it. Our works by themselves are it's just a dirty rag. We're just stirring around all the iniquity and things in our lives. It's not taking away anything. And that's what happens when we don't do things with the Holy Spirit working through us. We need to put that rag back in the clean water and wash with it again. Thank you.